8, Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you want to use one, just raise your hand and one of these people will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and open up the Bible or the YouVersion app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live online or at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, we're so glad that you're part of our family. Love you guys. So grateful that you are a part of us and so grateful that you guys are a part of us. Thank you so much for coming here and being a part of it on this training camp first week. Hallelujah. Doesn't it just feel good to have the boys? The boys are back in town. It feels, it just feels, it just feels right. And so anyway, so grateful for all of you guys. Uh, we live in a really, really busy world, don't we? Like so much so that busy's actually kind of become an identifier for us. People will interact with one another and they'll say, well, how you doing? Busy. They go, oh yeah? Well, yeah, me too. And then they'll talk about how busy they are or they'll say, oh, you think you're busy. Let me tell you. Uh, it's almost like it's a competition, like we can one-up each other on how busy we are. And it's interesting that most of the stuff that we busy ourselves with is self-induced. Most of the stuff that we busy ourselves with is stuff that will never, ever matter later in life. It's amazing to me how many parents busy themselves with sports that they weren't good at that their kids actually aren't good at, that their kids don't actually even want to play, but for some reason we feel like we're living. I remember my niece who played t-ball, and like, you know, when you're playing t-ball, it's the, the boys and girls, and really, I don't know how someone's good at t-ball. Like, you can hit this ball that's on a tee. It's kind of a gimme anyway. And so, like, how are you good or not good at t-ball? One kid can hit the ball. One kid hits the tee really well, and the ball just falls. My niece, she's in that category, not good at t-ball. I'm just saying, like, and I knew that when I went to her game, and she was in right field, which is an indicator you're not good anyway. And so she's, she's in right field, and, and she had her glove on her head. And she was like. And I look at my brother, I go, what is she doing? He goes, I don't know. I think she's chasing that butterfly out there. And I thought. My brother wanted to be really good at baseball. He never had boys, and so he spent all this time sitting at t-ball parks and softball parks, and I think half of the stuff that we make ourselves busy with, it doesn't even matter. But yet we live in this really busy world, this really noisy world, this static-filled world, a distracted, distracting, confusing, confused world, a world that sometimes lacks direction and many times lacks clarity. But wouldn't it be nice if there was something that you could like tune into, uh, a voice, someone who had a different perspective, someone who, who could actually see our lives from a different angle, who, who could see where we are in the whole process, who, who maybe knows the beginning and the end and could somehow just direct us like, mm, don't do that. Don't go there like when uh, you watch a scary movie and you can see what's on the other side of the door and, and you yell at, maybe you don't, maybe if you're from uh, Green Bay, you don't, love where I come from, we talk at the movies. We yell at the screen and you see what's on the other side of the door and you're yelling at the screen, don't do it, don't, it, girl, he is on the other side of that door. What? I told her, 
She's dead now. Why did, why did we, I told her she should have she listened to me. Wouldn't it be nice if we had someone who could do that in our lives? Surveys consistently say that the number one struggle that people have in their lives is direction. It's, it's clarity, knowing where to go or knowing what to do. It's definitely the number one most asked question that people have about the relationship with God. And that question is, how do I hear God? How do I hear his voice? And so we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks. And, and we're going to talk about, about tuning in, about, about moving the needle, maybe for some of you, all the way down that radio bar. But for some of you, it's not that far off. For some of you, like have you ever, you ever been driving on a road trip and you go through a city and you, and you accidentally find the good channel and, and the good song, one good song, it's a Doobie Brothers song and Doobie Brothers comes on and you are taken back to middle school or for some of you college, that's when you know that you're seasoned. And you, you, hear, that, you hear that Doobie Brothers song and you're like, <gasps> and then it starts to just... It just starts, just fades just a little bit. The volume starts to go down. and it, like it, That's some of you. Like, like, like you're right there. You're, you're so close. You just, have to, you just have to turn it just a little bit or you have to hit that button and get that 0.1 degree better. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks, getting on the right frequency. And today we're going to talk about how we prepare our hearts to hear from God. Let's pray. God, we love you. We value you. We, we cherish you. We're so grateful to you. So, so glad that we're connected to you. So glad that, that you are that overarching voice, that controlling factor that helps us get from point A to point B with as few injuries and derailments as possible. God, I pray today for myself, for my friends who are on this side of the screen and those who are on that, I pray that that God, you'd give us this innate ability to hear you because you're speaking in Jesus' name. Amen. There, there's this common misnomer about God that, that he in our day and age is silent, that, that he isn't speaking anymore. May, maybe he used to speak and, and we read the book, some of us, and, and we go, okay, yeah, like 4,000 years ago he spoke and, and like I'm sure that Abraham heard from him or there's, you know, the guy Moses or, or no, like they probably... They were able to hear from God, but, but there's this actual theological belief in some circles that God just isn't speaking in our day and our age, but nothing can be further from the truth. We serve a speaking God. Scripture talks about that fact over and over. Cover to cover, this book, the Bible, talks about God as a speaking God. It opens in the book of Genesis with God speaking the story of creation. That, that God said, the third verse, God said, and let there be, and there was. And then it ends in a book called the book of Revelation with God speaking to this group of churches about how this whole story is going to end. It starts with him speaking, it ends with him speaking, and it is interlaced all the way through because God is speaking. It just can happen to be difficult for us to understand. It, it can be hard for us to tune in if we don't know what we're listening for. And, and so I want to help you understand what it is that you're listening for. And throughout this series, I'm going to use really one verse as kind of a theme verse. I like to do that. And I want to take this verse 
from the Gospel of John and use it as our theme verse. And in this, in this particular passage, Jesus is speaking. And he says, and the gatekeeper, he opens the gate for him. And just let me pause because Jesus used tons of metaphors. Jesus was a metaphorical speaker. He, he used lots of metaphors in his teaching. He told lots of stories. And it wasn't just so that you and I could understand. That was the teaching style of that day. I, I love learning through stories. I actually, I actually don't feel like I learn best this way. I, feel, I don't feel like I, I learn best in this European front-to-back kind of format. Uh, sometimes I can tune out. Sometimes it can be a really good message. And, and yet sometimes uh, my eyes can glaze over. I can get distracted. And so for me, I actually learn best not in kind of a classroom format. I'm, I'm kind of a experiential learner. And so I, I love to learn in circular format where we sit around and we talk about it, which is why I'm so excited about uh, Life Church downtown. It's going to be this really cool, like gather together and just have a conversation. Because when did it become sacrilegious for us to have conversations? When did it become sacrilegious for us to doubt? When did it become sacrilegious for us to ask questions and to say, nope. Sometimes people say stuff that they came up with and then they try to equate it to scripture. And so for me, I love this idea that Jesus was a storyteller because that was the teaching style in that day. It was a storytelling culture. And so here Jesus is telling this story where he's a shepherd and we're his sheep. And Jesus says, and the sheep, watch this, the sheep had an innate ability to listen to the shepherd's voice. And I, I was reading this story a few months ago in the Chicago Tribune, and, and it was telling this fascinating story about this group of Arab shepherds who are still living in caves above Hebron in the Judean desert, and like, like literally right above what was Bethlehem, like right around the area where Jesus was born, there are still like hundreds and hundreds of people who live in these caves and they're like these really primitive shepherds and they were interviewing this shepherd and he was talking about how they moved their sheep from pasture to pasture and so because they had a lack of space because they had a lack of manpower and really two shepherds you have a shepherd and you have an under shepherd and the under shepherd learns the voice of the shepherd so that when the shepherd has to go to town there's no like fall off there's no pinwheel on the internet stream between the shepherd and the sheep and so there's two shepherds and they take care of all of the sheep but it becomes problematic when they have to move their sheep. And so all of the shepherds in that region, they gather together when it's time to move the sheep from pasture to pasture. And so they all move their flocks at the same time. And it's like chaos. And so you have this huge glob of sheep that are mingled and are moving together to their individual pastures. And, and when they would get where they wanted to stop, a shepherd will split off and he'll take his sheep to his pasture. And the way that he directs his sheep is with a sound, a specific sound. One, may, one guy may go, that's probably what I would do, just saying. One guy may just go, like that's our, that's our call, the Hennessy call. We could be anywhere on earth, and if you hear, you know, oh, so there's a Hennessy around. And so I, like, I don't know what their little call was, maybe it's, 
I don't, whatever it is, I'm just saying. You come up with your own. Each shepherd had a specific sound. And all that shepherd had to do was make his particular sound and his sheep were so accustomed to. His sheep were so in tune with their shepherd that they could distinguish his sound above all the other sounds, above all the other sheep, above all the other shepherds, above all the other nonsense and noise because they spent so much time in private. I wish you would stop being quiet. They spent so much time in private listening to the voice of the shepherd that it didn't matter what the noise was that was around them, that they could hear the sound of their shepherd above all of the Distractions, and Jesus says he calls out to his own sheep by name and he leads them out. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about here. He says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now watch this because this is so dope. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Some of you are being derailed because you're listening to a voice that you don't recognize. If you don't recognize the voice, don't follow the voice. Pause, take some time. That's the essence of what we're gonna talk about over the next couple of weeks. I wanna teach you the difference between the shepherd's voice and the stranger's voice because the book of Proverbs tells us, listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Listen for his voice because he's speaking. He does not have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. And so we need to figure out how to cut through the noise, how to tune in, and how to get on the right frequency. So today, I want to look at another story that Jesus tells, this time in the Gospel of Luke. And in this story, he gives two sets of scenarios. He gives the seed scenario and he gives the soil scenario. So he starts with four seed scenarios, okay? He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path. It was trampled and the birds ate it up. This is the first seed scenario that the farmer sowed the seed, but someone stole the seed. There is someone who is constantly trying to steal the seed that's being sown in your life, trying to steal the seed that you get on Sundays, trying to steal the seed that you get when you listen to messages throughout the week, trying to steal the seed that you get when you read scripture or when you pray. That is the first seed scenario that someone is trying to steal your seed. Here's the second seed scenario. He said, some of the seeds fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. The farmer sowed the seed, but something competed with the seed. And some of you, the reason why the seed isn't taking root is because something is competing with the seed. It's not that the seed isn't being sown. It's that, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Sundays are my most distracting day. There's always so much drama in the LBC on a Sunday because like the minute that I leave this place, it feels like somebody has some kind of a scenario or a situation or a burden or some kind of a problem. Something breaks out, I'll get a text or whatever, and something's trying to compete with that seed because something tried to steal it, 
But because I've been a Jesus guy long enough, I'm able to not have that thing be stolen because I know who that looks like. But sometimes there's something that competes with the seed so the seed doesn't take root. Then he builds a third scenario. He says, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants out. So the farmer sowed the seed, but something smothered the seed. Something took over that seed and it choked it out. Finally, he says, he says, some of the seed that the farmer threw fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Like, are you seeing the percentages here? Like, there is a hundred percent of seed being thrown, but only one quarter of the seed that is being sown finds good soil. So the farmer sowed the seed and something embraced the seed. And when that seed was embraced, that seed was multiplied. And this is our topic for today. Because when the soil was right, the seed was received. And if your seed's not being received, it's because your soil is not right. And here's what's so dope about this story is that Jesus does something that he, uh, like he almost never did this. Jesus was, uh, Jesus was sometimes frustrating. Can we just be frank about it? Maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't frustrate you, but sometimes Jesus frustrates me. Sometimes I'm like, for real? You're just gonna put that out there and then you dip? Like, you're just gonna put that out there and I'm supposed to figure that out? Like, what are you, what are you the Riddler? Like, you're just gonna drop me a little, little uh, <laughs> there was two men. And you're like, what? Come on, could you just tell me? That? So in this one, he, maybe he just, maybe when he told it, I'm not sure. I wasn't there, but I'm old, but not that old. Maybe, maybe when he told it, they had an abnormally blank stare on their face. I don't know. Maybe he was like, <laughs> and Jesus is like, okay, man, okay, I get it. This is a little over your head. So he does something that he never does. He actually decides to retell the story, but this time with the explanation. He says, okay. <sighs> Let's try this again. Okay, let's get this. Okay, there was seeds. <laughs> Y'all know what seeds are, right? Let's, you ever have somebody talk to you like you're little? Look, we, can you say seed? He had a seed, okay? We're, are we okay with the seed? And he had soil. soil that's, that's dirt. Seeds go in the soil. Okay, are we on track with that? And then he said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the voice of God. It's this, it's scripture. Even though like they didn't have this book back then, it was the foundation of what this would become. The problem isn't the seed, it's the soil. There is not a seed problem. If you're not receiving seed, it isn't the seed's problem. It's not God's problem if you're not growing. It is not a seed problem. It is a soil problem. So in the retelling of the story, Jesus gives us four more scenarios. This time, he talks about the soil. He gives us four soil scenarios. He says, those along the path are the ones who hear it, but the devil comes, now he tells them who the birds is. He says, the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Remember, remember in the seed scenario, the first one was there was a stolen seed, which of course there's a stolen seed because scripture reads us the devil's resume. There is a devil, there is uh, the Satan, there is an enemy who loves to do like one thing. He says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole job description. If you equate anything else to the enemy, that's not him. 
That's you. Sometimes we give the devil credit for things that we're doing. I'm just saying. And so like he, he says, I, like the, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so every time God tries to speak to you, the devil is instantly trying to throw something in the mix to make sure that you don't receive God's word. And it starts with this first soil scenario, which is the polluted heart. Some of the soil that the seed is falling into is a polluted heart. Like God's trying to speak, but we have so much junk in our hearts. The pollution has taken over. And that comes in one of two forms. The first form of pollution is pollution that you put on yourself. Like, can we just be frank? I think it's become out of vogue to talk about sin in church. Some of you have things that you put on your own selves. Like, like it's the choices we make. It's the sins that we commit. For example, my son is sick this morning. He is not sick because he caught a bug. He is sick because he decided last night he wanted to try to chug the most chocolate milk of all of the people around him. And so two things do not add up. Your stomach and half a gallon of chocolate milk. I told him before he went to, I hope he's watching this morning. I, I told him before he left my house, I said, use wisdom. I probably should have been more specific. <laughs> I probably should have gave a list of 614 things that he shouldn't do like God gave to the children of Israel in the commandments. I should have said, now, if a half gallon of chocolate milk breaks out, don't try to drink it all. And so, so he texts me last night, you know when a teenager leaves a sleepover early, you got a problem. So he texts me. He said, I'm feeling really sick. I need you to come get me. And, and when I picked him up, he had the milk sweats, y'all. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he got in the car. It, it, was, it, was, it was, I was like, boy, you better not throw up in this car. You throw up out the window. And here's the thing. I felt bad that he was sick because I love him. But I have no sympathy. I wasn't like, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I was just like, here's what I said. Y'all know what I said. Told you. <laughs> Shouldn't have been dumb. That's all. That's like sometimes I think God's looking at us and he's like, fool. What else I got to say? There's 66 books of don't drink half a gallon of chocolate milk. But you go to a club on Saturday night and you find a girl that's cute and you take her home and you wake up in the wrong bed at the wrong house in the wrong arms and then blame God. And God is like, I told you. Maybe I should have been specific. If you meet a girl named Trina <laughs> at Green Bay Distillery on Saturday night and like just like it's like sometimes we feel like God's like, do I have to write it? I actually did. I already wrote it down. And some of the pollution, that's, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. You have sin in your life, and we all have sin. Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The difference is, some of you have unrepentant sin in your life, like, like sins that you just won't admit, sins that you just refuse to give over to God, and so it's clouding your heart. It's polluting your heart. Here's, here's the second form, is 
Uh, it's pollution that someone else put on you. And it's clouding your communication with God. It's keeping you from the right frequency because every time you try to talk to God, the devil will stir up any relationship that he can, primarily with your family, in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents. And he will try to accuse you because scripture says he's an accuser. And you'll start to try to talk to God and the enemy will speak over you and he'll say, why do you think you can talk to God when you can't even get along with your own family? But God is not surprised by that tactic. In fact, Jesus addressed it in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, if you're praying and you remember that you have an issue with someone, stop praying. Go and make it right with them once you've made it right, come back. In other words, before you can have this conversation, you have to have that conversation. Because if you don't have this conversation, the conversation between you and God will never work. In fact, in the book of James, it says it this way. Get rid of the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the message that God has planted in your hearts. For it's strong enough to save your soul. But you can never begin a new life until you turn from your old. Here's the second soil scenario. He says the rocky soil represents those who hear the message with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. They believe for a while, but they wilt when the hot winds of testing come. And it's because something else competed with it. And you have a distracted heart. And here's the thing about distractions. The things that cause distractions are not always inherently bad. They just steal your attention. For, for some of us, we're not hearing from God because we're hearing from something or someone else. It's like trying to have a conversation with someone across a loud and crowded room or like going on a date with your husband to Buffalo Wild Wings. It's just a lot of distractions. It's not that we don't love you. It's just that there's a 150-inch screen and someone is playing darts. And we're just, oh. It's not that Buffalo Wild Wings is bad and it's not that darts is bad. It's just, how can I look away? It is a distraction. Like, you know what my biggest distraction is? It's my iPhone. And I love my iPhone, and it does so many things for me. It has the Google app on it, which is so great, but there's just so much information to be known. And that's not bad. Information's not bad until I try to use my phone to do my Bible reading. And as I'm reading my Bible on my phone, I, I have a thought, or, or, or I get an idea, and suddenly my Google app trumps my Bible app. And then once I go on the Google app, like it's over. Like squirrel, for me, it's just too much accessibility. On a side note, new studies on young, like, like eight to 18 year olds have determined that eight to 18 year olds spend on average seven and a half days on their, hours per day on their smartphone. That's 53 hours per week. <laughs> No wonder they're not getting their homework done. <laughs> we, we all do it, whether it's seven and a half hours on a smartphone or, or it's, you know, playing Bejeweled or if it's Minecraft or whatever it may be. Like, we're all consumed with something. And it's because all hell is trying to keep us from God, and so it sends competition. It sends distractions. And it's not new. In the scriptures, Jesus is having dinner at this house with these two sisters, and, and he's in the same house saying the same thing, but the sisters had a completely different experience because one of them had ears to hear, but the other didn't. 
And it says that Mary seated herself at Jesus' feet and she was listening to him, but her sister Martha was doing what looked to be a good thing. She was overly occupied and too busy, watch this, so she was distracted with serving Jesus. Oh, that'll preach, because I've been guilty of that. I've gotten so busy serving God that I stopped spending time with God. And I'm just saying, there are things that would love to get in the way. So, so there are things in our lives that need to be turned down, shut down, if we're gonna hear the voice of God, because to hear God's voice, we have to turn down the world's volume. Here's the third scenario, is he said, the seed fell among weeds. Has anybody ever tried to grow a weed? No, you, you don't have to grow weeds. Nobody's tried to grow dandelions in their life. You don't have to try to grow weeds. They just happen by themselves. But what does a weed speak to? If you drove by somebody's house or if you drove past somebody's farm and all you saw was weeds, what does that speak to? Laziness and neglect. It's somebody just says, mm, I'm just not that into it anymore. And so Jesus says some of the seed is just falling among neglect. They go their way and they're choked out by life's riches and pleasures and they don't, watch this, mature. And the third soil scenario is an immature heart. And it's this mentality that says, yes, I'm saved, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but I'm okay in this place in my Jesus journey. And God's saying, you know what? Yeah, you're a Jesus guy or you're a Jesus girl, but you need to mature. You need to grow. You need to go deeper with me. It's time to have a different kind of relationship, like, like I'm married to Pastor Sonny, but it's not enough for me just to say that. It's not enough for Pastor Sonny and I just to have chit chat. Like sometimes Sonny and I have to have conversations that have sophisticated content. Things like finances or schedules, temptations or commitments, sophisticated content that is required because we are two mature adults having an adult conversation. Now, I have the cutest, most beautiful niece on the face of the earth. Her name is Magnolia, AKA Noli. And, and I also have many conversations with Noli. In fact, on a weekly basis, she comes over to the house and I have conversations with Magnolia. And those conversations consist of this. Yay! <laughs> Followed by me dancing and making weird faces. Now, now I have the ability to communicate a little better than that. But it's, it's about all that she can receive because she's immature. And as she grows up, our conversations will change. They will look different. So here's the point. Some of you are dissatisfied with the level of communication that God has with you, but maybe that's on you because you need to mature because you need to grow up a little bit, because God wants to have some sophisticated adult conversations with you, but that can only happen when you grow up a little, when you mature. And the Bible tells us how to do it, and it gives us four steps. It says, since we're surrounded by so many examples of faith, we have to get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that distracts us. We've got to run the race that lies ahead of us and never give up and stay focused on Jesus. Did you catch the steps? You have to get around people of faith. You have to get rid of non-Jesus junk in your life. You can't ever give up, and you have to keep your focus on Jesus. That is, that is the formula to maturity, and it's not easy, but maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes. 
Here's the last scenario, and it's the only one that works. It's the one that lets you tune in, that gets you on the right frequency. Jesus said, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. And the last soil scenario is the prepared heart. But how do I do that? How do I prepare my heart? And I'll give you three words. It starts with, with the first one, and that is repent. We have got to repent, which is a word that has somehow gotten a bad rap. It's like it's, like it's Christian cussing. Like, like we look at that word and we think it's like, you better repent, you dirty, low-down, rotten, sap-sucking sinner. But it, it's not even like that. Repent just means turn around. It's just changing your direction. Like if you're going in the wrong direction, don't trip out, don't sweat it. Just stop, turn around, just repent. And if you'll do that, God will forgive you and you'll start to hear a clear line of communication with him. Here, here's the second word, is refocus. Now that you've repented, refocus. Renew your efforts. Wake up a little bit earlier. Spend a little time with Jesus. Read your Bible, uh, say a few prayers, keep a journal. It won't be perfect. I'm just saying that we have to refocus our efforts. It's never too late to begin again. And somewhere along the line, what happens is people who are new Jesus people, they are all in. They want to read their Bible 12 hours a day. All they want is some Jesus. But then, like, life happens. And pretty soon they're like, yeah, I mean, me and Jesus, we're cool. Now, nah, man, he gets me and I get him. Listen, some of you need to, like, renew Rekindle, refocus. Here's, here's the last one, is we need to ask God for revival, which again is a word that's kind of been hijacked by the church world. It's kind of been hijacked by Christians. We think that it means something weird, like, oh, we're going to have revival. And it means that people are going to get shofars, and they're going to get like ribbons and there's going to be dancers in here in white robes doing interpretive dance and people are going to, we're going to spray you with anointing oil and somebody's going to touch you and you're going to fall out and we're going to sing, let the bodies hit the floor. It's, it's like, <laughs> and we've like made the whole revival thing weird, which is why most churches aren't having it. But here's what that means. To revive something just means to give it new life. And that's what prepares your heart. And some of you need to ask God to revive your marriage, give it new life, to revive your relationship with your kids, to, to revive your finances, to revive your hopes and dreams, anticipations, expectations. But I have to warn you, revival requires removal. You will never have revival until you remove some of the, the stuff that you've allowed in your lives. And 2 Corinthians challenges us. It says, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles, that distracts, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. God's voice is clearest in a prepared environment. You cannot grow bananas in Alaska. If you want your seed to grow, it has to be in the right environment. It has to be in the right soil. Have you prepared your environment? Are you good soil? Do you have a prepared heart? If you don't, you can before you leave here today. Would you close your eyes all across this place? A prepared heart. That, that is like the overarching definition of salvation, having a prepared heart. A heart that has received the seed 
that has been sown in your life? Are you good soil? This morning, some of you didn't even know why you came here, but the reason why you came here is because you had prepared your soil. And so this morning, as that seed had been sown, the question is whether or not it's going to take root. And so this morning, we're gonna give you opportunity for that seed to take root, and here's how. In just a moment, we're gonna give opportunity for people to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and here's what that means. It just means like if he's your Lord, he's in control. If he's your savior, you acknowledge that you need to be rescued and only he can do it. So, so like if those two things make sense, this morning we're gonna give you opportunity to confess that you're a sinner and profess that Jesus is Lord. And here's how we're gonna do that. In just a minute with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to confess and we're gonna do that by you raising your hand and making eye contact with me. Once you made eye contact with me, you put your hand down and then I'm gonna ask everybody in here to repeat a prayer after me and that's our opportunity to profess that Jesus is Lord. So if you're here, you say, Sean, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand right now, make eye contact? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks, 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 thank you, thank you, thanks, thank you, thanks, 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 thank you, thanks, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Change me, come into my life, make me new, be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you believed it in your heart, scripture says you are saved, you begin a new life. We call it the Jesus journey, where you leave where you are and you walk toward Jesus. And we wanna walk that road with you, so if you'll help us by tearing off the bottom part, of that hello card, fill it out, check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus, put it in the black buckets when they come around or take it out to the Welcome Center. We just want the chance to pray for you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes again. Don't leave, we're not done. Pastor Sonny's gonna close this out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but you're not good soil. You're immature. That's the sense that God gave me, that you need to pray for people who need to increase their maturity. If that's you and you say, Sean, I wanna go deeper with Jesus, would you raise your hand right now so that I can pray for you? God, for so many people, thank you, God, for our hunger and our desire to go deeper. Would you bless them, challenge them in Jesus' name, amen.